where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skill team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Before we get into Last Dance from last night, this note from Pierre Lebrun at The Athletic talking about the return of hockey. He said the only people who have a little bit more knowledge than anybody else are those on the Return to Play Committee, a group made up of brass from the league and select members of the Players Association that hold detailed weekly chats regarding the issues and ideas concerning a path back for this season, if at all possible. Flyers winger James Van Riemsdyk enjoyed the experience last summer of sitting on the competition committee, so he didn't hesitate when they asked him to sit on the return to play committee, and uh, he said that this has been good. There's a good mix of guys on each side, so no stone will be left unturned as we try to navigate the safest, best way to hopefully get things done. But at the moment, there isn't a safest, best way to return hockey. And that's the problem, isn't it? Is that... You know, you're reading about all of these different options, and none of them are going to be the perfect option. None, none of them are going to be 100% safe or 100% signed off on by everybody. And that's, you know, the problem that we're facing. And perhaps by the end of the week, we'll get some more knowledge about baseball. They've got their deal with the umpires, and baseball apparently scheduled today to make an offer to the MLB Players Association about returning and starting spring training in early June and starting the season in early July. I really hope that that doesn't become a big stalemate. And I understand that the players are going to want to to fight for what they believe that they deserve. But I just think that the, everyone's going to have to understand that there's going to be give and take on both sides here yeah. to get this done. And I figured it out this weekend. If the players would take a no pay cut, the teams without spending on staff, without spending on debt service for their ballparks, Without spending anything else, the teams would make an average of $56 million per franchise. Whether or not that's enough to allow them to make money, I don't know. But that would seem like it would be pretty tenuous in terms the owners don't want to be in a position where they aren't going to make money. And the players don't want to take a pay cut because there's going to be no fans in the stands. So, like you said, they they might have to settle on at least a 20% pay cut so that everybody can – thrive when baseball comes back because owners aren't coming back if they're going to lose money on the deal no and you know there's already so many obstacles in play here from a logistics standpoint from a health and safety standpoint you would hate to see a season not happen because of money no doubt about it that that'd be a bad look for everybody for everybody and heartbreaking i mean america needs this we need sports and while i understand athletes have their families to worry about they you know 
have earned this money. I think that this is an unprecedented thing. And you can clearly look at the numbers as you just laid them out. And it's not like owners are coming to them asking for something unreasonably. Michelle, we've talked a lot about Last Dance this morning, and there's so much that comes at you in two hours. And you mentioned during the break, we haven't even gotten to to the fact that against the Knicks, Scottie Pippen decided to not play when Phil Jackson drew up a play for Tony Kukoc, and that extended that series, although the Knicks wound up winning in seven. But that's a pretty big thing historically in sports that we haven't even had a chance to get to. Which is crazy, and it tells you the magnitude of Michael Jordan. I mean, even Patrick Ewing was talking about that game in the Knicks when Jordan dropped, what was it, 55? Mm -hmm. And he's like, I believe I had a pretty good game that night, too, but nobody remembers that. Nobody remembers that. We're talking about Scottie Pippen, the star of that Bulls team at the time, refusing to go in in a crucial moment in a playoff game because he wasn't getting the shot because of ego. And that's something that we had. It hasn't even been on the radar for us today because of everything else that had to do with Michael Jordan. And I believe to an extent Michael was right when he called Phil Jackson the next day and said, Scotty's never going to live this down. Mm -hmm. I think it's a footnote to his career, but it's not something that everybody has forgotten about. And obviously it's relived in the documentary. But it is amazing that a player that great and a player that was around as driven a guy as Jordan wouldn't at least inbound the ball to Tony Kukoc to try to get the win. And you talk about him becoming the leader in Jordan's absence. Does a leader quit on their team in a crucial moment? You know, you talk about Jordan and when Phil first introduced a triangle offense Mm -hmm. and it was about him sharing the ball with his teammates. And that's something that he was willing to do and willing to adapt to. And to think that Scottie Pippen, who'd been in that environment and who wanted to be the guy once Jordan was gone, sometimes being the guy isn't having the ball in your hands. Sometimes being a leader isn't the one. You're not the one making the dagger at the end of the game. Being a leader comes in all different forms. And I think that that proves that Michael Jordan was not only one of the greatest players ever, but the greatest a great leader in a lot of, of different ways. Well, and one of the things that he's consistently said throughout the eight episodes so far is whatever it took to win. I would do anything to win. And sometimes that was at the expense of relationships with his teammates. Will Purdue and Bill Wennington talked last night in the in one of the episodes about the relationship that Jordan fostered, not necessarily a good one, with his teammates. Yeah, let's not get it wrong. He was an he was a jerk. He crossed the line numerous times. But as time goes on and you think back about what he was actually trying to accomplish, you're like, yeah, he was a hell of a teammate. He was pushing us all to be better because he wanted to win. And guess what? It worked. It's kind of like the player version of Bill Belichick, isn't it? Yeah. In a lot of ways. I mean, the way Belichick does it is more of a addressing you down with a film. You know, he mm-hmm. has actual film to back it up. You know, and this to me was such so revealing about Michael Jordan. He could take a fake situation that he made up in his head and use it as fuel to the fire. He didn't need anybody else to push him. He was pushing himself that way. But for him, he felt a responsibility to poke and push and poke and push because he felt like I need to unlock whatever it is in you to make you angry enough to get to my level. 
And as his teammates said, it worked. I mean, to watch him chastise them and call them out of their name and belittle them all the time, that couldn't have been an easy thing to be around all the time. I wonder how much of the pressure that he applied in practice because he said, hey, if if you can't handle this, there's no way you'll be able to handle the pressure of the playoffs. I wonder if that was true, if those players would not have been able. Like they said, it worked, but... Every other team that's won a championship has done so without Michael Jordan pushing them. I wonder if you have to have that player or coach in practice to get you to deal with the pressures of playoff basketball or if everybody else is just kind of on the same level and Michael was way up here, you know, four, five, six notches higher than everybody else and his ability to overcome that pressure. That's a great question, and I wonder if Michael... Because it seemed like he was that way later in his career. I wonder if part of his approach was because of what he endured early in his career, the physical mm-hmm. beating that he took. The, you know, when they talked about the Pistons, just the the trash talk, the vitriol, the hatred. I mean, when you think about that, he he experienced that, and it was part of why he was the way that he was. And I wonder if he always just expected to go into any sort of battle like that. And so he's probably looking at his teammates thinking, if we ever encounter a situation like that, what you felt from me is going like what you're going to feel from the opposing team is going to be cake compared to mm-hmm. what you felt from me. I did feel sorry for Scott Burrell. <laughs> me too. <laughs> such I mean, a nice guy. Such a nice, same thing with Tony Kukoc. You know, last weekend the guy just wanted to come in, play the game, do it well, and he, I mean, and he got caught up in the drama with Jerry Krause again. At the beginning of the documentary, you had Jerry Krause talking about, you know, there's no infighting here. There's no backstabbing here. And I thought that was going to be a big storyline throughout these two episodes. And I think that's just leading it down the path to what's eventually going to happen in the final two episodes. But you didn't even really see much of Jerry Krause these past two episodes. As I followed Michael Jordan during his career, I saw his interactions with the media, thought, well, great guy. You see Space Jam, you think, oh, great guy. You, you think, okay, well, here he is doing this Gatorade commercial with all these little kids. Great mm-hmm. guy. There was a book about him, and I don't think the author has been, maybe it was a Sam Smith book, but one of the things that he did when they played at Chicago Stadium as a young player, he would like stop under streetlights in gang neighborhoods and talk to gang members and try to get them to straighten up their lives. And I think this book kind of glorified him a little bit, but still, it was something that made you think of him as a nice guy. But then you see this and you see the way that he dealt with his teammates. What does he think? Through the years. I think that intensity has come at the expense of being perceived as a nice guy. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, winning has a price. And leadership has a price. So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenge people when they don't want to be challenged. My mentality was to go out and win at any cost. If you don't want to live that regimented mentality, then you don't need to be alongside of me because I'm going to ridicule you until you get on the same level with me. And if you don't get on the same level, then it's going to be hell for you. Why you get that play, you big fat head? You should have laughed, you You remember when Dick Vermeil would drive the Rams relentlessly and it was kind of the same thing except from a coach and what dv says now is the proudest part of his coaching career is that he got players to do things that they didn't think they could do Mm -hmm. 
Sounds exactly what Michael was doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, leadership and success certainly does come with a price. And I bet all of those players, as you heard all of those players talk uh, about Michael and his approach, they said, it worked. We mm-hmm. won. And so I don't wonder if, first of all, you have to not care what anybody else thinks about you. In any walk of life, that's certainly important. I mean, yes, you want to be a nice person and do the right thing, but you have to live your truth and live your life the way you want to live your life. You know, And I think for Michael Jordan, in that moment, while he probably felt like he was being a jerk, he also probably felt like he was doing the right thing. You know, so when he's thinking, am I a good guy or a bad guy? He probably thought it was a good guy tendency to push these guys to be their best. He probably felt like if I have to be a jerk to be a good guy at the end of the day, I'm helping you achieve your ultimate goal. I'm making you the best basketball player you can be. I'm making you a champion. So isn't that something that should be put in the good guy category? It's very complicated Mm -hmm. when you think about it. I have never had somebody in my life that pushed me that hard. Uh, I'm path of least resistance guy, totally. And I've never had somebody that, and uh, in broadcasting, you don't have to do the sorts of things that you do to win in basketball. But regardless of whether it was parents or a teacher or a coach or uh, a mentor, I've never been pushed that hard in my life. I have in different scenarios, but I, I think with Michael Jordan and, and and sports is completely different than what we do in our daily lives. You know, the way Michael Jordan spoke to his teammates is because he need, needed them mentally to get to a certain place so that physically they could get to a certain place, okay? If you're working at a bank and you're a bank teller and your boss is coming up calling you names, telling you you suck all the time, that's not going to make you a better bank teller. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it only works in a certain arena when there's a physical component involved. And I also think Michael Jordan approached his teammates in different manners. The way he would push, you know, uh, Scottie Pippen is not the same way he would push a B.J. Armstrong. And I think that that's a mistake a lot of people make outside of the sports world is they don't realize that everybody has different triggers and that you have to coach and manage people in different ways. I mean, I think Mike Schilt does an unbelievable job of pushing different people in different ways. Like when Colton Wong talks about, I need a safety net, I need reassurance. By giving him that, he can then push him in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so so I've been I've been pushed in different ways that have worked and I've also been pushed in different ways that have not worked. You know, and people need to realize that when you're managing people, you have to adapt to what works best for them. That's Michelle, I'm Randy and this is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me Smalls. It's coming your way next. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, this is always fun. Michelle, what have you got for us today? All right, Randy, first on the docket. So Michael Rubin, he's the Fanatics founder, also 76ers co-owner. He started this all-in challenge Mm -hmm. to raise money to fight food insecurity amid the coronavirus pandemic. So a lot of people in sports are getting involved and they're donating things to be put up for auction. Well, Robert Kraft put up a piece, Randy, of New England Patriots history. You can get his Super Bowl ring from that Falcons Patriots Super Bowl mm. where they came back with a 28 to 3 or excuse me a 28 to 3 deficit to win the game. Now, this also includes a trip in the Patriots private jet to Gillette Stadium, a presentation of the ring and the team's trophy room, and some personal time with Robert Kraft. <laughs> he says we're going to send our plane to pick you up, bring you here, we're going to have a good time as mm-hmm. I give you the ring, show you around, maybe have a bite or two. Seems kind of um 
You know, yeah. when Robert Kraft Robert, says we're going to have a good time, Robert it makes me a little, have a good time. It makes me a little nervous. Yeah. Uh, there's so much here. Number one, <laughs> if Anthony Stalter got that ring, he would melt it, right? You think so? I mean, the the price tag is already at three hundred and thirty thousand okay. dollars. It's a it's a very. I mean, you think he'd at least then perhaps sell it for the money, or you think he would just melt it for juju purposes? I would hope he would melt it for juju purposes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I think most Falcons fans probably feel that way. Uh, secondly, so you get to go out for a bite to eat with Robert Kraft. Is that really going to be entertaining? I'm not sure. And then uh, a good time with Robert Kraft is heading on over to the spa, right? Yeah, I wonder if that price is included in the 300 I, w- I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, you might have to tip, but uh, yeah, that'd be a pleasant, uh, pleasurable experience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just... When he puts out statements like this, like, we're going to go have a good time. It's probably just him saying something nice. And he probably didn't realize that anytime he says anything like that, we're going to attribute it back to what was it called? The Orchid Spa? Yeah, it was. Yeah, Orchid yeah. Spa. He brought it on himself. <laughs> he really on did. the day of the AFC Championship game. Hey, game day, right? <laughs> <laughs> Got to relax. Oh, Find a way to relax. Jesus. <laughs> We need to move on from that. Okay, so speaking of auctions, the NFL had an auction as well. And one of the things that were up for auction to raise money in the wake of the COVID pandemic was an experience with Roger Goodell. You could watch a Monday night football game with Goodell in the man cave that he had. You saw it in the NFL draft, you know, rich mahogany, a lot of wood paneling, a comfortable chair. But you could sit in the man cave with him and watch an NFL game. So Barstool founder Dave Portnoy, Prez, Noted, hated Goodell guy. I mean, he came up with the Goodell clown T-shirts, etc. There's, there's been a a barstool Goodell war battling or raging for a while. He won the auction. Wow, I don't think Portnoy has it in him to be kind and easygoing here. I think this is going to be a bad afternoon for Roger Goodell because Portnoy's just going to scream at him the whole time, isn't he? Well, I mean, he paid $250,000 for this opportunity. But I would imagine if that was the case, he's going to have some sort of wire on him or he's going to want to film it. Or I just will be very interested to see what that dynamic will be. I mean, you're going into his home. Not that that really matters, Mm -hmm. I guess, if if you paid to do it. But, yeah, I mean, if you had the chance to sit in Goodell's basement, you'd certainly give him a piece of your mind, wouldn't you? I totally would. But at least I would do it in more of a... A cutting, a cutting way. I'm. Uh, I sense Portnoy is more of a, a screamer, and I, I would just. I, I'd try to make the guy feel bad. I think Portnoy is just going to launch into him. Probably. Yeah, which is fine. If he paid two hundred fifty grand for it, just has a different approach than I would have. Probably. Do you think that that will get rescheduled? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. The COVID-19 pandemic will cause that to be rescheduled, and then the fear of Portnoy pandemic will also cause it to be rescheduled until a later date, like 2025. I mean, if you're Goodell, if you're me, if I was him, I would just take it like a man. Yeah, you have to. I would just say, you know what, let's get this over with. We're we're doing it for COVID-19 relief. That's the way to approach it. Well, Randy, the Rams are irritated. They're, no. they're a little upset. Yeah. So Greg Bedard uh, reported that the Rams were looking at their schedule and that they realize that they're away before their Thursday night game versus the Patriots. Well, 
New England is already going to be in town playing the Chargers the week prior. So they're back-to-back weekends in L.A. And the Rams are saying, well, that's not really fair because the Patriots are already going to be there and we're not going to be landing until X amount of dates and we aren't going to have enough time to turn around. And that seems unfair. Oh, hey, they don't know what unfair is, by the way. And everything's an affront to the poor Rams. Hey, you know what? Just go play the game. You got this genius coach, right? You've got all of this money that you made. Your franchise value is through the roof. You should be able to pay. Oh, that's right. You wasted the money on Gurley and Clay Matthews, so you have a ton of dead money. That's on you. Hey, the St. Louis Rams went there and won in 2001. So if you don't like it, number one, if you don't like flying across the country, don't move across the country. And number two, if you think that uh, that's an issue, then that's on you. That's not on them or the league. If you're the better team, you go and win the game. Couldn't agree more, Randy. This is such a loser's mentality. I mean, an opposing team coming in isn't saying, well, they had back-to-back home games. This isn't fair. And by the way, they're playing in Arizona. It's not that far of a flight. It's not like they're going cross-country, et cetera. To me, this is already saying, oh, if we lose this game, this is why they've been resting in California this entire time. You shouldn't care what their travel schedule looks like. You should say, we're going to come out there and we're going to win the game. It's that simple. That's what really good teams do. And that's what playoff teams and champions do. Let's see if they can figure something out now. They haven't been able to figure out the defense that Belichick put together against them. That went 16 games last year. So let's see if they can do a little bit better this year. So Randy ESPN was doing an interview with Trevor Bauer. And as, you know, people have been doing Zoom calls, they've been doing house parties, all of these things. Well, when Trevor Bauer popped up with FaceTime, his phone number was attached to Mm. it. So ESPN (laughs) unknowingly leaked Trevor Bauer's phone number to America. And not only to the people watching it live, but of course, you know, it was screenshot, it was sent out everywhere. But Trevor Bauer wasn't going to let this negative ruin his day. He said, you know what? Everybody's got my phone number. I'm going to turn this into a positive. So we tweeted this. ESPN has just leaked my phone number (laughs) to truly the entire world, LOL. So in honor of this, shall we call it massive screw up, I'm doing a giveaway. I'll be giving away a pair of signed cleats and an autographed baseball over the next 48 hours. Rules are in my voicemail. Good luck. That's awesome. Good for him. Way to turn it into a positive. And I'm sure that that money will go to COVID relief, too. Yeah, that is a pretty massive mistake. And it's on them. That's the worst part of it. You know, like when, remember the Catherine Webb when she showed up in the bowl game and Brent Musburger went crazy over Mm -hmm. her? Remember Darnell Dockett tweeting her his number, but he did it via regular Twitter. It wasn't a private message. Oh, man. A direct message. So he gave his number to everybody in the world, but he did it himself. This is a mistake on the part of ESPN, but I'm glad that Trevor Bauer is being such a good sport about it. That's pretty cool. And I would think that he'll have a new number by the end of the week. I was going to say, I don't know if it costs anything to change your number, but I'm sure he could send ESPN the bill if it does. Yeah. Back in the day, I don't know if ESPN or if uh, Sprint still has it. I'm I'm a Sprint customer, but you used to just be able to call in and Automatically, it took like one second to change your number. There was nothing to it. Have you? So you've changed your number? I haven't changed it in a long time, but I did. It's such a pain. It's one of the biggest nightmares well, in the, the world. Getting to everybody your phone else number. your new number is the yes. worst, right? Yes. How long have you had your number? Uh, not that long. Really? Yeah. I've had my number since '08, I think. So 12 years. I've had a pretty long time. It's a pretty good run, Randy. Yeah. Do you still have a landline? We do. How long have you had your landline? 
Well, at this house, since we had it built, we've had a landline forever. We've never not had a landline. Now, it used to be because of the alarm system. You had to have it for the alarm system. And then for a while with DirecTV, you had to have a landline. Now it's just there so that we can get stupid sales calls and I can taunt salespeople. Do you call people ever on your landline? I've called people in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I like to to make a dentist appointment or to make an appointment for the dog to go to the vet, stuff like that. I have so many landline questions. Cordless phone or does it have the it's cord on it? cordless, but I was just thinking within the last week, you know, if we're going to keep this, we should get a corded phone because nobody uses it. And if you're going to use it, you're close anyway. Because the the cordless phone, it it's in and out. It's not great. So I'd rather have a corded phone. I have a, a corded Washington Redskins phone in the basement that I could easily put there. Where did you get a Redskins phone? So Randy? I was a What's Redskins the story fan. behind that? When the football Cardinals left after 1988, uh, they were led by a bunch of former big red coaches. And Joe Gibbs was their head coach, former assistant here. Uh, they had uh, Wayne Severe as their special teams coach. He was here. And then Hanny goes there. And I knew Hanny from here uh, because of the media thing. And so, uh, and the first Super Bowl after they left was in San Diego where they beat the Broncos. And their fans had such a good time. I said, you know what? I'm going to start following this team. So I did. For the entire time, we didn't have a team. And Jack Cook was the owner. It wasn't Daniel Snyder. And they were great. It was kind of bandwagon jumping. So I went to a ton of their road games. And I had all kinds of Redskins. I had, had coats, hats, shoes, uh, phones. I had everything. I, I was I was all in on the Redskins for like seven years. And did that go away when the Rams came to town? It did. And now it was, Just we, cast them aside just like that, huh, Randy? Uh, well, they were my secondary team, but then when Dan Snyder, oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh, which was four years after the Rams came, uh, it took only a couple of years. And obviously, I I knew who Trent Green was, and I knew that Marts had done a great job there. I was paying enough attention to them so that I knew that was a positive thing. Wow, so. I didn't know this secret past of yours as a Redskins oh. fan. Hail to the Redskins! Hail victory! Braves on the warpath, fight! For old DC, beat them, swamp them, touchdown at the point. That's it. Yeah, there's a good song. It's a, they had a great, the best fight song in the NFL is the Washington Redskins fight song. Wow. Hail to the Redskins. So now you know. Now I know. <laughs> the more you know, Randy. That's true. Coming up next, Danny Mack is going to be in this chair at 10 o'clock. He's with us for the next two segments with Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman, and we do welcome the one, the only, the great Dan McLaughlin to the That's studios. That's a heck of an intro, man. Thank you. <laughs> You're the best. You're my man. We dogs. We we have been for many, many moons. Many, many years. Yeah. When's Good the morning, first time guys. you two met? Do you remember? Yeah, I do. I'll see if you do. I guarantee you don't, because he was a big star. Oh, okay, and was I was right? just a, I was just a guy running around grabbing. Back in the day, you know, the commercials ran on carts, and so behind the the producer, which you were on the other side of the glass, right? And so the so let me let me try to give a visual visualization here. So you're on the air, then there's the glass, then behind that is on the producer side, the phone, the board, where you could put up, you know, Joe from South City's calling in, wants to talk about, you know, the 1925 Cardinals, which Randy knew the history of. <laughs> and then behind me is literally, I would say, 200, 300 carts. Mm-hmm. And they had little things on them, like stickums or whatever. What, what, would, what do you call those Labels. things? Labels. 
<laughs> Very simply put, they had labels on okay, them. Okay, okay. And so uh, I would grab then, you know, it would be, you know, Car Shield, and it would be Ryan Kelly, and it would be whatever, and then you'd have to get everything in line. And, and they, you, they, these looked like an eight-track tape. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. the best way to put it. And and you literally would stack them next to you, and you would be the one many times that would play the spots. Oh, man, wow. Like you'd push the button manually, and that's how we did it. So first time I, I met Randy, which Randy obviously doesn't remember, had a lasting impression on him. I was producing a show following Cardinals baseball, which Randy always did the postgame shows. And so Randy was one of the guys that I grew up listening to, loved listening to him. And he was and, just a little tyke. Yeah, I was six at the time <laughs> uh, producing at KMOX. And Prodigy. Then, uh, <laughs> it was really a great internship program at that time. Um and so that's the first time I met Randy, and Randy treated me with the utmost respect, even though he didn't have to, and I've always tried to do that with uh, those that I work with, too. It's, it was a great lesson. Now, we've been watching uh, Last Dance. Has any coworker ever mistreated you uh, when you were just trying to do your job and get it done? Has that ever happened to you, Dan? You know, it's interesting, Randy. Um, I do remember the time that I booked Mark Sauer, and that'll never, ever happen again. I mean, Randy was upset. Rage blackout, Randy? Uh yeah, it's very. I, I've only seen it like three times, maybe in my life, uh-huh. with Randy, where he's really upset. Yeah, it takes but, a lot, right? Oh my god! And when it happens, you just get out of the way. It's one of those <laughs> kind of people that you just say, "Okay, I'm uh, Uncle. I'm in. I'm out. I, I get it. I'm done." And so I booked a couple of guests for Randy because I think at the time management weren't they honest about getting some guests on or something? And yeah, and so. Can I defend myself here? Yeah, of or do you course. want to tell the story and then I'll defend well, myself? I, so the, the bottom line yeah, was... Yeah, I would like to hear both sides of this. Bottom line was I booked some guests for Randy. Randy was none too pleased and um, may have thrown a cart. I, I think he may have threw, <laughs> thrown a cart that day. And I was like, I was shaking. I was like, wow, I've never seen this guy mad and I'll never book him a guest again. <laughs> I learned my lesson. So here's what happened. Oh, this and is the truth, huh? This is. And I... Dan has always been an exceptionally hard worker, and just from that little snippet, you can tell that uh, Dan was trying really hard. So what happened was, minutes before, Rod Zimmerman, the general manager, and Tom Langmire, the program director, had brought me into Rod's office and said, uh, hey, we want you to produce the show and run your own board. It's going to be all you, and we aren't going to have producers anymore. And so I'm five, ten minutes out of this meeting, and I'm pissed because I want Dan there helping me out, and I, I want to have as much help as I can. And they, they're basically saying, hey, we're cutting costs, we're cutting to the bone, and we aren't going to have anything except you. And so Dan comes in and says, hey, I got you sour, and somebody else good. Dan had done a really good job. He was Amp Lee's agent. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, I, and he was holding out. He was holding out, and he had yeah. had a great year for the Rams. The MVP. Yeah. Yeah. And so I... Dan and tells Ampli, me this. by the way, too, both. But anyway, yeah. that I yeah. that's neither here nor there. So, Sorry, Randy. And so I, I believe I said, uh, this is my blanking show. I'll book the blanking guests because they just told me to. And I did throw a card across the room and it might have broken. It did break because <laughs> it had the sound of Ampli's agent on it. I was like, no, no, no. please, no. So that, that was me being Michael. Yeah, you, you did. You, I mean, it was... 
Last Randy. <laughs> you know, I don't, that's the only way I can put it. Last Dance has been interesting, by the way. It's been kind of fun. It really has. Don't you feel like it's the Super Bowl when you settle in on Sunday? It's like the biggest event of the week. I was thinking about this today. If we didn't have that to look forward to and maybe some of the other 30 for 30s, mm-hmm. um, and, and let's just say that it, we were having a normal NBA playoff run right now and the NHL's doing their thing and the Blues are still in it and the Cardinals are in the full swing of their season – how much attention would we be giving the last dance? I mean, I think it'd be given a lot of attention because the interest level is there. I, I'm not sure, though, it'd be getting the attention of watching it live on a Sunday night and making it appointment television where it'd be, hey, I taped it and I'm going to you know, DVR it or whatever and go back and watch. But it, it's been fascinating for me. I, I really enjoyed it. So one of the things that we've talked about is Michael Jordan's competitive nature, that fire, yeah. you know, as, as Randy spoke about. Well, we led the show talking about Derek Gould's piece on Jack Flaherty. I'm going to talk about that in the show, too. Yeah, that's th- cool. Who certainly has that competitive right. nature. So when I'm, I, I mentioned this, too, I think, last week. But when I'm watching Michael Jordan and that competitive fire that he has, I'm reminded of Tony La Russa and so many great Cardinals players. And I wanted to ask you, so many of those players on those Tony La Russa teams had that mentality was that something that they got because of Tony or did Tony attract players that already had that inside them both I think that they were able to acquire or draft ridiculously talented players but also guys that played with an edge I mean you you think about that that great era of Cardinals baseball and we're still in it in my opinion but it started with Tony in 96 and then kind of reshaping the quote-unquote Cardinal way and getting back to the way that he wanted to have this thing set up but I've always said this. I think the Cardinals were great villains. I mean, great villains. If you were not uh, a fan of the Cardinals, you saw coming in Dave Duncan, Tony La Russa, Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, Scott Rowland, Jim Edmonds, Jason Isringhausen, Chris Carpenter. These were guys that played with an edge, and they just happened to be a collection of those players at the same time. And I also, to your point, think that they fed off each other. You know, winning will do that, and and so that's what made that so much fun. And I have reflected on thinking about the baseball perspective of this, watching Jordan, and I did see those guys work, man. They they worked really, really hard to the level that the that he's working on the baseball side. So it is pretty amazing to see that and how it correlates to baseball. And Walt did a great job of finding those guys. I don't know if those guys are in baseball anymore. There's there there are the Jack Flaherty's around. I don't know if you could get a group of a dozen now on one team. Oh boy. It'd be tough. I think the money's changed it too. So mm-hmm. if you have one of those guys, he's getting paid a really big portion of your salary structure anyway. So to try to collect everybody, I mean, you think about it, Edmonds, if he hit free agency, is going to make a lot more money. McGuire's going to make a lot more money. Roland was probably going to, I mean, hell, you know, Roland compromised with his shoulders, still made a lot of money right. because he's such a great player. And Molina and all those guys that came through, and, and so it goes back to even if he signed Albert, Wayno and, and Yachty probably aren't here. One or the other might be, but not both. So it'd be very tough to get a collection because of the business side and keep them all together. I, I do believe that, yeah, for sure. We're going to cross things over to uh, Scoops with Danny Mac coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. And we're heading towards Scoops with Danny Mac here on 101 ESPN. I do want to get from you what you perceive to be the latest on baseball. And I know that we were talking off the air. You think this is a really big week for MLB? Huge week uh, because we will have uh, a proposal 
from MLB and the owners to the the Players Association and, um, you know, get an idea of how many games they think, uh, maybe some of the rules. I, I still think the big thing is going to be money and how they divvy it up. And hopefully that does not become the sticking point uh, of what we're dealing with here because baseball and sports could be so important to what we all do and enjoy as Americans, which is having a diversion at night or whenever you take in a game, how you take in a game. So I'm concerned about that part of it because I think it could be, you know, the optics could be bad with what's going on in our country if if it comes down to money. But I would like to think that cooler heads would prevail. And uh, I'll be talking about that on the show a little bit, too. Randy and I spoke about that a little bit earlier, and we were saying there's so many logistical obstacles to get this For done. Sure health and safety obstacles to get this done. If it came down to money, if money was the reason that this wouldn't go down, I mean, that would not sit well with a lot of people in America. No, that's a hard sell. I mean, unemployment rate on Friday morning was 14.7, which is depression rates. So that's not going to fly with the general public. Um, And that's why I said I I think cooler heads would prevail. I think they could look at themselves, and any sport could look at themselves, if it's safe enough, and the players agree, to be a leader in trying to help our country come back. you know, we all miss sports. There's no doubting that. I think if we've learned anything through this pandemic is that, you know, it's easy to say, well, I don't like sports. And, you know, we put too much emphasis on sports and it's, you know, not it's not everyday life. And and I agree with that to an extent. It's not the normal person out there working, you know, nine to five. I get it. But, man, it's a part of what we do. It's a part of the enjoyment that we have, the distraction that we have, the uh, the fact we don't know the outcome of a game, you know, those kind of things. We enjoy that. And so that's why I think it's important if we can safe, safely and making sure the players are healthy to get back in and have some type of sports. And Michelle, you were telling me last week about a study that you had read about how unhappy we are as Americans. We need something to make us happy, right? right? Oh, yeah. I was telling Randy one of my quarantine activities is that I took an online course at Yale called The Science of Well-Being, and they open up the course talking about how America consistently ranks number one in unhappiness, you know, amongst Mm -hmm. other countries in the world, and that basically, comparatively to other generations, we're prescribing depression and anxiety meds at 400 times the rate that we were before. And I can't imagine how those numbers have been compounded during a pandemic where people are losing Mm -hmm. their jobs, people are afraid, people are losing their lives. And you're right. Sports takes us away from that to the extent that it gives us something to believe in. It gives us something to be distracted by. It's I mean, when I first got into this, my first job was in news. And I remember so desperately wanting to work into sports because it was the three minutes of the newscast that took you away from everything Mm -hmm. else that was happening. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I was just gonna say, and I hope that the athletes realize how important that is right now. I I think they probably do. And I'm sure that'll be emphasized in these meetings. I mean, it's got to be. And uh, you're living under a rock if you don't think that people miss sports. I guarantee they miss watching sports right. or, or catching up with their teammates and having something to do, something to look forward to. I did find it incredibly interesting watching the UFC fights uh, over the weekend. Like, I, I'm not a big UFC guy. I don't make it appointment television when it's there. But I wanted to see this and what it would be like without fans. And, you know, they had a fighter that tested positive, and yet they still were able to move on with the event. And, you know, if we're living with the virus, which is what we're all doing here, you know, how far can you go before you break if you're a sports league and say, we got to shut it down or we're going to continue to do it because we're going to, you know, work around this? Um, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think anybody has the right answer. But, man, I miss sports and I know everybody else does, too. You, I'm surprised that you're that intrigued by watching 
a sporting event without fans having done the Cardinals for as long as you haven't been to Miami as many times as you have. <laughs> There's been some times where you wonder about that. <laughs> Pittsburgh was pretty pretty dull some of those games too. And here's what I found, and I'll talk about this on the show, is that that is the new normal for until we get a vaccine or however we get to to have crowds. But the thing I kind of liked about it was hearing the inner workings of the fight. Like you could hear the cornermen. Uh, one of the fighters talked about being able to hear an announcer and then shifted what he was doing to win the hmm. fight. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. And you're, you're going to get that in baseball. I think you're going to get that in hockey and basketball if and when they come back. Just about, you know, like basketball, switching on defense or what kind of defense you want to run. What's the offense you're going to do? Baseball, you're going to hear the conversations potentially of what happens at the plate or at first base or in the dugout or guys screaming at the opposing team, which happens way more than you would expect. I mean, guys are screaming at each other all the time. I, I kind of found that part interesting, so I, I just try to take the positive out of it. Do you guys remember? I don't. I think it was a playoff game, and it might have been a Cardinal guy that was thrown out. Uh, but it was the confusion over no, no, no versus go, go, go. Oh yeah, on a, a, a tag play at third, uh, somebody was tagging right. up. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, and it, because of the crowd noise. They there was a, a miscommunication, yep. and the player decided to go 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 when the coach was saying no no no, and got thrown out. Well, you'll hear the third base coach yelling halfway or tag up or get even the first base coach on balls that are hit to deep left or you know left center. You'll hear those kind of things, which does lend me to think that. And this is getting way ahead of the game, but. Uh, if and when we come back, and let's just say we we have sports with with no crowd, so you're going to hear the, some of those things. I would think that moving forward, then, why not have a microphone on a first-base coach or a third-base mm-hmm. coach and just say, hey, this is how we're going to do it because our fans really enjoyed it and we're a TV presentation for this. Let's do it. Let's have some fun with it. Put the crowd into the game as much as you can. That's one of the things I love the most about the XFL broadcast was hearing was cool. the cadence and hearing some of that ambient noise from the field. Yeah. And I don't wonder if players – we talk so much about the crowd noise and how they fed off the crowd and you know it provided a little something, something for them. I don't wonder if it – almost lessens the pressure because you're not hearing the fans boo you or hearing the fans react if you might just feel like a kid out there playing the game. Well, it was funny. Joe Girardi said last week, the the Phillies manager, he said it's going to be like you were in um, Legion Ball again. Yeah. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're just playing for your mom and dad and, you know, your family and, and it's a small crowd and that's what you deal with. But again, if this is the new norm, um, I'm okay with it. I, I It's not ideal. It's not no. what I want, and I do think players feed off both being booed and being cheered. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of the fun part, too. Like, we were talking about villains before. It's fun to see when Yachty goes into Cincinnati, you know, mm-hmm. batting sixth, the catcher, Yachty or Molina, boo! Everybody, <laughs> boo, 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 you hear all that stuff. And, and don't think for a second he doesn't feed off of that. Oh, so for sure. If you're a player, you're going to have to find ways to get yourself amped up and get ready to play, and that's why you're a professional. Well, and outside of the money, the, the biggest reasons that Paul Goldschmidt signed the extension with the Cardinals are, A, because they bring up a lot of kids and they always have a chance to win, and B, the energy in the ballpark every mm-hmm. night. And he, he played here, but then in talking to the guys, you get an idea of how cool it is that there's energy every single night throughout the summer at Bush Stadium, and it's just not that way everywhere. Well, the, And I've talked to former players that came to St. Louis after playing wherever they were at. And now they're more open about talking because you find that all the time, guys, as you know. I mean, when guys get done playing, they just seem to be more receptive to telling it how they really felt and those kind of things. And a general statement from those players was, I couldn't believe what it was like being in St. Louis. And I I know that sounds homerish, but 
it's a fact. I mean, you play down in Miami or you go to a bad year in Pittsburgh or you go to certain places that just don't draw, it's a different deal. And when you're here in St. Louis and you've got on a Tuesday night against the Marlins in early July in a game that is somewhat meaningless, let's say, but it's just part of the schedule of baseball, and you got 40,000 people there. The Cardinals do a great job. Number one, I, I do think their game uh, in-game presentation is is awesome. The product is very good. The giveaways are really good, which is why a lot of people come down too. Mm-hmm. But it's a production, and they do a good job with it. And all those things coming together makes it a, a fun atmosphere. Looking forward to hearing your show from 10 to 11 here on 101 ESPN. Matt Vaskersian coming up, the voice of uh, Sunday Night Baseball, lead anchor uh, along with Greg Amsinger at MLB Network, and uh, get into some of those topics that we're talking about, including the last dance. I was, I'm intrigued by the last dance. I am. Everybody is. It's awesome. It's, it's been fun. It's great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, that is Danny Mack. Great job by our producer today, Freeze Pops. Thank you. Thanks to Colin Surrey for running the board, spinning the dials. Michelle, as always, great to be with you. Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow. Isaac Bruce will be with us tomorrow here on Character and Smallman. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. And until tomorrow at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.